What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest promotes a positive lifestyle for brands and global design strategy. She is a 2019 Women in Design honoree from Hospitality Design Magazine. She's an incredibly valuable team player and a dear friend of mine. She is the VP of Design for Lifestyle Brands at Marriott. Ladies and gentlemen, Alia Khan. Welcome, Alia. Thank you, Dan. So nice to be here. It's so great to have you here. I was I, just before we were doing the sound check and making everything go. I just, you know, I said I'm so excited for this conversation with you because I feel like it's been 15, 14 years in the making um, from our friendship, and then you know all the other shared memories that we have, just of like kind of coming up in the industry together, and through so many big changes and living on different sides of the country and, you know, acquisitions. And it's just been like an incredible journey to be on with you in particular. And I'm just so glad that we're here. So thank you. No, thank you. It's kind of fun because, you know, there's some people that, you know, you can text them any time of day from anywhere in the world. And you could say the most random three words that would completely make sense only to them. And you are one of those people. We have our own language. We have our own acronyms. We have our own jokes. And I think it just comes from what you said. It's this it's this life that is work and play and human and real and connected. And, you know, it connects to your children and indirectly it connects to my mother because she's very invested in your carpets. So um, yes. it makes for like, it, it makes for a solid relationship. And I think it's also very evocative of the industry we're in. Um, I love that you brought up your mom, first of all, because just, just so everyone knows, at one point, Alia's mom picked out a Persian rug for me, carried it halfway around the world. Alia has given it to me and it, it moves around from room to room to room. Um, right now it's in my daughter's room and we play there and have fun. I always take pictures of wherever room it's in. It's always been a really important part of our life since you've given it to us. That's fantastic. And, you know, hopefully in time and with generations, it'll continue to be a part of the Ryan household. Yeah. And actually I wasn't thinking of doing this, but because we, you know, bringing up the rug and I think in the terms of actually as of hospitality from where you were growing up, like how does a rug weave into, weave into like that, into hospitality? It's, you know, it's, it's about gathering. So one of my grandmothers, when we, uh, on one side of my family, I'm one of eight grandchildren and she had a very big dining table. She didn't, however, have a big enough dining table for eight children and the parents that came with them. So she had this rug and we would literally, I'm not kidding, sit around that rug and we would have, we would go serve ourselves lunch and sit on the floor, cross-legged on that rug. And I think to me, when I think about that, I think about like, it brought a group of people together. It always brought us back together. We used to nap on that rug. And I think 
it's that embrace, it's that platform, it's that thing that brings people together. In our case, it was all the cousins and remains so. Um, but I sort of see it like a metaphor for hospitality, right? It brings people together. It brings you together from all over. Sometimes you know the people, sometimes you don't. Um, but it is literally this gathering spot, which I think is can be very energetic and very impactful um, for everyone, whoever's in that gathering. Yeah, and just from my experience having this amazing rug, you know, from all the different places that we've lived over the years and the memory, it's almost like, um, like a thread through my family's growth and trajectory in life and just um, sitting, playing. It, it's like a timestamp that I can always refer back and see that in my family journey. I love that. And, you know, when we talk about, when you talk about an experience like travel or you talk about hospitality, it takes so many different forms and certainly it means different things to different people. But I find very quickly in my mind, I'm always referring back to a specific moment in my life. And so, you know, the rug is your sort of timeline or thread of specific moments in a certain way. And, you know, for me, travel is a thread. Um, everybody's got their own thread or their own metaphor, um, which is kind of a nice way to look back and anchor yourself to a moment of time. Yeah. And it's interesting as like, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we go, but if you think about, you know, your day job, right, mm -hmm. of creating these amazing built environments where you're impacting guests that are coming through and one of the ways to impact them, I guess one of the motivators to impact them is to have that imprint on them. I, th I feel strongly about the imprint. And, you know, often I find that imprint has become too tactical. It's too much about, oh, it has to be this upholstery or it has to be that flooring. And I always ask people to kind of take many steps back and talk about the types of imprint. I want to imprint your memory in a favorable way, your life experiences in a memorable way. I would like to be able to be a small part of giving you something that you're gonna reference back in your mind and you're gonna say, you know what? I want my children to be a part of this. I want my friend to be a part of this. And so for me, it transcends just the physicality. It's the environment, it's the experience, it's the memory. and. All of those things, I think, come with love, attention to detail, caring, really wanting someone to love the part of the experience that you've spent time thinking about, you know, really kind of digging deep inside you, like, what makes people happy? You know, when you get off a plane after, I don't know, 23 hours, what is it that they're going to want? And how do we, as travelers, experience makers, hosts, thinkers, find ways to deliver that in a way that it feels good. It might feel novel that people come back again and again. Um, you know, we've kind of gone down the path of my mother and I'm gonna continue on that for a second. Good. I consider her, her like the, the quintessential hospitality expert. She's not an interior designer. She does not have any technical qualifications to give her that title, but what she is as a human who cares. 
And you can ask any of my friends who know her or anyone who has been to her house, she will always remember, oh, you know what? Dan likes tea. He doesn't drink coffee. Or, you know, so-and-so liked this chicken I made the last time I was they were here. Why don't I remake it? Or so-and-so doesn't like you know, to sleep in a noisy room or doesn't like the air conditioning or whatever it may be. Now, these might appear like small things, but when you think about it, here's this person who actually cares about you and your well-being. And when you're in her world, she's going to do everything to make sure that you have the best possible time, that you're always comfortable, that you always feel loved because somebody cares about you. And it could be as simple as, you know what, doesn't like tea, only drinks coffee. And that's thoughtfulness, right? That comes from within. And I'm not kidding. She remembers this about everyone. She does and, not forget. And I think, you know, for in the beginning, you were saying, you know, you're, you're presented with these challenges of how to make people happy, right? And maybe that's that personalization that your mom does. Um, she's doing it from a place and an intention of making someone else happy, of serving them and making sure that they're cared for. Um, as you think about like your mother's influence on you, even your aunts and sitting around the rugs and, you know, how that idea of making others happy, how does that tie into your definition of hospitality? I think it's about like the details, really getting into things and caring about things. And it's not just I'm going to tick a box because this is what it's going to do to get this open. It's about really thinking, who are the people who are coming here? What do they want? What do they care about? What do they need? Have they seen too much of this? Or I saw this cool thing in this city. How about I find an interesting way to bring that to you? And to me, what that is, is it's thoughtfulness. It's caring. It's, you know, really sort of giving a shit from inside and wanting to deliver all of that in a real way. And I think that's love, right? Why do any of us do this? We love travel. We love design. I love people. I love watching people. I love sitting in airports and seeing how people travel and the decisions they make or, you know, people watching on the street. And how do you take all of this peripheral stuff that you encounter day after day and use it to help you make better choices or offer like greater depth into something than just here's a bed, here's a shower, there's your coffee, you know, have a nice day. I love that you said love of people and just watching people. I, I recently just saw um, David Burns' American Utopia for like the third time. And I really want to go see it a fourth time. I'm addicted. I'll come I'll come oh, good. I, I will take you up on that. Actually, I want to get a whole crew together and we'll do it. So that Love actually, I have a note in my, my little note capture thing. Uh -huh. uh, it's a project to be done. Nice. Um, but in it, he says, you know, one of the most in enjoyable things by all humans is to, and what he loves more than anything, but I think it transcends everyone. And the most fascinating thing to watch is other humans. And whether they're eating a bag of potato chips or riding a bicycle or just being, watching other people is the greatest thing. And actually moving up to Connecticut from New York City, that's one thing that I miss the most is just not like I'm talking to every person, although Annabelle would say she misses that I don't talk to just random people on the street anymore. But 
it's just being around that energy of others and love of people. I can relate to that. I mean, I, as you know, I moved from DC, from New York to DC and, you know, certainly DC is a city and interesting and has its own layering. But when I go back to New York, I mean, some of what I love is I never take the subway. I never take an Uber. I walk everywhere. There's no bigger joy than walking down the street in Manhattan and seeing what are people eating? What are they drinking? What are they doing? Oh, okay. I think we're in a slightly better place with COVID. The masks are kind of off and it's just, you learn so much from seeing people, particularly when they are going from point A to point B. And mm-hmm. I love that. I, you know, I live for it. I, I could sit in an airport and people watch for hours, you know, all I my totally smart friends will read very important books and do very useful things with their time. I'm just like, watch the people. You learn so much from the people. So one of the things that fascinates me the most of all these conversations I'm having, but in particular with design people is how, you know, you take that idea of love of people or how do you make other people happy? And these are very nebulous kind of ideas. And I'm always just amazed and awestruck at how you can take those ideas and turn them into concrete, binary, tangible things, right? And I think a lot of what you do, you do and you've done in your vocation is how do you is communicating these ideas as a brand and turning them into reality. Like how did you how did you find that path? How did you develop the superpower? Oh, it's going to take many more hours than we have. But um, I think there's a couple of things that uh, become kind of interesting and important to think about. And I think the first is whatever you do in life, when you have you ever been in a presentation and you've had the one person come up and they they're telling you something, you know, they may be selling you a water filtration system, but when they believe in it and they love it and there's enthusiasm and passion and commitment to a message and how you engage a community, it's so believable and plausible and people walk out of there wanting to buy the whole thing versus this is what I do, this is how it is, you know, take it or leave it. It has to be this way because I'm telling you it has to be this way. Now, in today's world, particularly, I find with media what it is, exposure what it is. I mean, you know, the entire world has been stuck at home for 22 months and yet somehow we've continued to travel in our imaginations. You know, we've watched movies, we have read books, we have absorbed all of this stuff. And I think it goes back to the idea of love, but then secondarily, when you take all of that that's passion, right? And when you can bring that passion and use it to influence people to come along on the ride with you, I think that's far more successful than this is my brand, this is how we're going to do it and you have to follow the rules. So that's sort of at a higher level, but I think it also comes back to, I started this whole journey by accident. You know, I literally got an internship at Starwood by accident. you know, everybody knows Aaron Richter and I was, it was, I had come out of class and I was with um, his girlfriend at the time and he came and joined us and he was like, Hey, you know, I need someone to come and do some drawings for a couple of months. Why don't you join me? And I'll help you figure out an employment thing while we're at it. 
Next day, I get the phone call. This is Starwood Hotels and Resorts coming. We believe you're joining us on Monday. And, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. But I think the point of all of this was right out of the gates, that fluke led me to this community of people. And this community of people was eclectic. They were interesting. I mean, it was such a mishmash. And I mean, you know all of them. And at the time I sort of thought, oh, this is cool. This is like an eclectic bunch of people. They have different life experiences. Some of them intended to be here in their careers. Others fell into it. And we all kind of just coexisted and inspired each other. And we would travel together and we would eat together and we would do this God awful commute together, which now I think back was probably one of the most enriching things to be able to you know, ride Metro North with people that inspire you. And I thought it was normal. I thought everybody has this. And now, you know, 20 odd years later, I realized it was not normal. It was the absolute, it was an absolute gift of unique. And I bring it up because in spending time with each other and learning from each other, you learn a couple of things. You learn about the power of expansiveness, of opening your mind to new experiences, the value of influence rather than this is how it has to be, um, the comfort to learn from each other and teach each other, but to do it all in a way that we always felt like our little pod um, had each other's back and we did. I mean, we pulled off some incredible stuff with limited resources just because everyone would roll up their sleeves and dive into what was happening. And some people were better at other things and learning from each other and helping each other and growing yourself a little bit in the bargain. Um, that was all that experience. I mean, I lovingly call it Starwood University, you know, you have it's totally like, I love that you call it a pod as well, because in our industry, and I, I'm sure in every industry, but there's always there's these kind of little pod birthing zones, if you will, where you know you have these really talented people coming together, burning the midnight oil, creating these great things, and then life happens. There's acquisitions, there's mergers, there's a, a fi financial crisis, there's a, 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 a what are we going through now? A pandemic. There we go. Um, and it okay, it's it's it causes those that like core of people that did these great things to kind of spread their wings and float out and, and germinate in other areas. And I, that pod in particular of you guys from Starwood is really impressive to me, not only because like I have a shared experience and kind of came up at the same time, but like you all have gone on to do some pretty awesome and incredible things together. You know, it's, uh, it's so two things to that. I think there was the pod, but then there was the pod. And, you know, you were part of that, that, that ring that kind of helped the pod. You, Katie Daly, I mean, Joan Cardi, God bless her. How many times have we texted her in the middle of the night asking her to help us with the most random things? And she texts back. So it was this group of people. And you can probably send her just three three words, like you said earlier, and she totally gets it. Like you're on a telepathic wavelength. Fully, fully. Yeah. You get a girlfriend, if I'm understanding this correctly. But I think the thing of it also was because we all know each other and we knew people, everyone had strengths and everyone was good at everything. But the best part of it was no one ever said no. 
The answer was never, you can't do this. The answer is like, all right, never done that before, but let's figure this out. And I, I really believe that that ability to be in a safe space where you could experiment and try things and test things and bounce things off of people, I think just gives you, gives you a little more confidence to maybe continue to try that and push for that. And, you know, help and support comes from many different ways. And everybody had a piece of that. Yeah. And so to tap into the love that you keep saying, and, you know, to bring it back to the, the water filtration guy or gal, mm -hmm. I think what you were talking about is, okay, so the water, just to use water filtration, it's, this is what I do, right? And again, this is the whole thing. It's like, I think we've really tapped into why uh -huh. we are doing, we're, we're very in alignment with the why. And if you think about people and love and, and the why, with some of the people that you mentioned as well, like we totally get people, we see where they could be a good fit also. And I, we joke about it. Like we should start a, a recruiting and staffing agency because like, we're always thinking about who they are and not what they can do, but why they would be a good fit. How did you get so good at matchmaking? But Dan, you actually are the master of this, this notion of what can I as an individual do to shorten somebody's journey, right? Mm. And again, that goes to spirit, that goes to love. It's where you're seeing people for what they are very good at, what makes them happy. And there's something pretty joyful about, you know, causing synergy or bringing like like-minded people together or helping solve somebody solve a problem. And again, I think it goes back to the core spirit of hospitality. You know, this transcends just this thing of a place to stay. This is about a life. This is about welcoming. This is about thoughtfulness. This is about maybe sometimes finding the partners to help you do things differently knowing that when there is an invested community of people or an invested pod, the outcome will always be good. You know, it's because it comes first from spirit and intention. Yeah. And I'm also very excited in that pod idea and spirit and intention of, as far as your migration from Starwood to Marriott and being down there. And then if you think about the pods that have developed there, and I think it's also a really exciting time for where you are at Marriott now too, sadly with the passing of, of Arnie and new leadership, but also moving from like the headquarters, the fortress, the mothership, if you will, to a new location um, in Bethesda, downtown, uh, easier access. Like, mm -hmm. how are you seeing the evolution of your pods and bringing new people into the pods and with this whole movement and and new direction. I mean, it's a really exciting time in our industry and just in our industry, but also specifically at Marriott in particular. I think, you know, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, there are some people who fear change and there are others who embrace it. And when you embrace change, you always see everything as opportunity. And you know, it's pretty inspiring to be around people day to day. You know, the person who leads our group, he came from Disney and, you know, he'll tell you he's not a bricks and mortar person. Um, but what it shows to me is 
when you come with a mindset of embracing change and you come with a mindset of um, this is going to be a good thing and you start to build your pod to support the good thing or find the good thing or grow the good thing, I think happy accidents happen along the way and it just kind of becomes more cultural, you know. I mean, by all accounts, and we there isn't one person in the world who will argue this, the pandemic has been awful, right? People have been home, they have been isolated, they have been lonely, they have, you know, I have so many amazing people on my team who have homeschooled their children and looked after elderly parents and PS brought their A++ game to work. So now wow. as we're hopefully all sort of sliding out of this, we hope, God willing, um, there's promise and opportunity to look towards, right? Um, being back together again in an office, what does that look like? We're especially lucky because, you know, we're moving into a new office. So it's, A, it's going to be, I think, the joy of being back together again, but joy of being back together again in a new experience and doing it together and building that sort of emotional culture that will live within those walls as everybody comes back together and finds their new comfort level around, you know, day-to-day -day engagement, does travel look like, you know, trade shows, um, field trips, pip walks, all of those things, right? At some point, we're all going to get back out there in all of this. And if you're with a group of people who can help you navigate it, who understand that change sometimes is a little bit of an adjustment, people who will step up and help you through stuff that maybe is hard for you because they're in your pod, I think all of that additively is exciting to me. It's very exciting to me, you know? Yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking that as we're coming out of this pandemic and all the changes at Marriott and being in a new physical space, if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, thinking about how you can create these physical spaces to impact people positively. Like we're going to be coming out of this nadir kind of a new wave coming up and you're going to be in a new place. It's like a tremendous opportunity for Huge. change and regeneration. Huge. And you know, it's like everything that we do today is like, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, when you think about it, look at the industry, our owners going to renovate their hotels maybe the way they used to maybe maybe not you know you want them to be able to but if they're not able what can we do to maybe help some of that you know how are we going to share all of our new ideas in a way that people can use them usefully without being overwhelmed by them you know if i'm going to show up in someone's office and hand them you know a 70 page drawing set and a you know a thousand page spec book and be like hey this is what you have to do to renovate this hotel. I'm not sure that's going to fly anymore. So what do we do as we start to think about inventive ways to keep product fresh, to keep it interesting, uh, to keep it relevant, to keep it appropriate to the brand that it represents, but do it in a way that it doesn't overwhelm and scare people. And I think that takes the ability to almost literally throw out a spec book and think again, you know, what's it going to be? And how do we so, yeah, as you said, brand there and thinking about that, I went back in time in my mind, I don't know, two or three years ago, maybe three and a half. I don't remember exactly, but when Marriott acquired Starwood, I don't know how it went from X brands to a hell of a lot more brands. And one of the things I was 
I was concerned about, it was like, oh my God, how are they going to make all this, all these different brands? There's so many. How many are there? They're now 30. 30. Okay. How are they going to make these 30 brands kind of differentiate and specific? And as just an outsider looking in that kind of, that matrix that you guys developed um, was so impressive to me from uh, lifestyle to luxury to, I don't even want to mess with it all, but the way that you, I feel like you guys put six months or a year into thinking about what all of them are. And then once you figured out what they are, you figured out how do they fit in to this whole picture. And that to me, I, I just don't know how you guys did that. That was so impressive. Like, tell us about that. You have to think about it though, right? Imagine that there are 30 children, there are 30 siblings Mm-hmm. And yes, they might have the same parents and yet they might have, have some of the similar life experiences. They all still have 30 unique quirks. Mm-hmm. And I see this as an exercise in celebrating those quirks, right? What are those things that make Moxie ownable that no one else is doing? And what is Weston doing? And why is that interesting? And why is that relatable? And who is it relatable to? I think, you know, the biggest mistake that anybody makes in this world is when you're trying to be everything for everyone, you don't need to be. There are 30 of us. Find the one that's right for you and let's do it properly. You know, if- I think think with those quirks that you're talking about, as you think about for each brand, it's almost as if you're creating a unique culture and language for each of those. So, okay, give us an example. Like when you identify a quirk, how do you differentiate and build a culture around that? You know, I think it's more of the guest almost identifies the quirk. Like we find that certain guests or certain, you know, psychographics gravitate to some brands over the other. And you kind of dig into it and say, all right, what is it about this guest? What do they love? What do they love about this brand? Why are they coming here? And then how do we start to put a clearer sort of lens or filter around it? I think, you know, Weston is a really good example of exactly that. And, you know, this guest who is the healthy active and, you know, while they're out on the road, what can we be doing from an experiential standpoint and welcoming them thoughtfully um, so that they kind of feel like there's relatable product experience, passion and programming. And I say Western also because it's so dynamic, right? Wellness alone in the last 22 months, what wellness has become for everyone working from home, you know, what does that mean? What are you eating? What are you drinking? How are you working out? How are you sleeping? Sleeping, sleep is important. And what are those things that we are hearing and learning and seeing that have been evolving over a large amount of time, but especially now in the last 18 months and 22 months. And how do we pull that in to what we do for our guests? Now, what we do for that guest is for that guest. We would be so incredibly remiss if we tried to force some of that thinking into say, an Aloft Hotels or Moxie where the guest is very different. You know, they're not looking for those things. And so I think the magic comes in listening, watching, who are these guests that go to these 30 brands? What is it about those 30 brands that appeals to them as individuals? You know, certainly some of it is location and price and, you know, et cetera, but really digging into the philosophy of what is it that is so right for that guest in that hotel? 
Um, and then kind of digging into that, literally sitting and watching them and seeing what it is that they do and how do they travel and what do they want and what do they eat and how do they work and trying to put a little bit of experiential um, detail around that. Coming out of the pandemic, I've been hearing two words more and more and more. Um, you mentioned one just now, wellness and, and sustainability is the other one. And I think these are actually two real silver linings. And you, also you mentioned Aaron Richter before, because I think what they're doing, what's really interesting at Equinox Hotels is in the idea of wellness for their hotel, it's, it's like about restoration and sleep, right? Or like, I and I'm sure it's more than that, but mm -hmm. um, this idea of wellness is really exciting to me because it's been around a long time. I think it's been misappropriated, but when you think about taking wellness in and, and, and kind of forcing it into a built environment, how, how do you take that wellness idea and you can use Weston or any other one and like really pull on that from what you're watching and seeing with your guests, but to what the final execution is. I think, you know, there's no one answer, easy answer. I think something like wellness, first of all, it exists on every level, right? Wellness is for the individual, it's for the family, it's for your pod, um, it's for your mind, it's for your physical body. Now, you know, some of that is one thing translates to the other and vice versa. So I think there's plenty out there for us all to absorb, react and respond to. But I mean, to me, what I even love is like, think about the Western heavenly bed. I mean, God, it's been what, over, almost 20 years, right? Yeah. Heavenly shower, heavenly bed. And those- I joke about that because in a way, I think that, well, in a sad way, I think that the heavenly bed might have been one of the most innovative things in hospitality in the past 20 years. And it's a bed, like that's where we go to sleep. It's true, you know, but now we like, think about it, like the art of sleep alone, like you should do a, you should do a chat on that because, you know, we, we know people who make incredible bed sheets that allow, you know, temperature control and how you sleep and they ease that journey. There is so much around lighting, around sound, around scent, around posture or ergonomics. I mean, you, you could keep peeling this onion. And I think that there would be enough for everyone to go around. It's, mm. but there's, there's so much there and that's just wellness or that's just sleep. I mean, there's a million other sentiments, thoughts, experiences that a person goes through in the course of travel. There's enough for everybody to take something and really, but really kind of drill down into it. And what does it mean? And what does it represent? Yeah. You know, I'm looking at that bowl of uh, matches behind you. And I remember you told me about that collection you have there. But if you were to just look at the over there, look at one of those matchbooks over, over whichever side. Look, which one of those matchbooks is like a very enjoyable and evocative memory of hospitality. It's every look. single one. Like if you want to play that game, I can tell you, I can pull and tell you who I was with, where I was, how we felt in the moment. Um, All right. So look over there. There's a, uh, there's a striped red, white, and green one to the right. I think of the pink one, I think the right, I don't know if you're inverted. Yeah, it is. And it is a, um, an Italian restaurant in New York city. 
And I remember going there for dinner with my uncle. Um, he lives in North Carolina. He would come into New York once every so often and he'd be like, hey, kiddo, come have dinner. And, you know, I have a visual of it. It was a very sort of cheery room. It was cold and there was like good amber light and good wine, but it's like a good experience. It's like, I'm smiling, right? And I've had many such experiences with him, but it takes me back immediately. You know, when I hang up, I'm gonna go through all of them and I'm gonna relive all of those memories, but it's like matchbooks from all over the world. Um, yeah. And truly, like I would say, oof, almost 25, 30 years of collecting matchbooks. That's how wow. old I am. I love it. And then uh, how about the pink one to the the left of the red, white, and green one? Uh, I think it's pink or red. The pink one is, oh my God, this is going to make you laugh. This is make me laugh. I think this is, it's Dos Caminos and it's the one on Park Avenue. And it's funny. Oh boy, I've had a lot of margaritas there. I, I have too, but I, I will tell you this particular one was, um, it's a funny story. Uh, Mitchell Gold. When I started at Starwood, Mitchell Gold, Mitchell himself took us to dinner and Robert Pullen was our sort of yes. uh, contact at the time. It was Christine Mitchell, Robert Pullen, myself. Those Caminos had just opened the one on Christine Park. McGinnis. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Okay. And um, bring it. You know, it was like it had just opened and they were so generous. They wanted to take us to this new cool place. Um, and there was so much excitement. And this was from that moment. And then ironically, I moved to this neighborhood um, much after the fact, but at a time when then, you know, people stopped giving out matchbooks. That's the other thing. People stopped giving matchbooks. Not yeah. many people do them anymore. And they maybe give out jewels. No, they don't even do that. So it's interesting just on just looking at you and like from the Italian one, there was this warm, like loving, just nurturing, uh, nurturing experience. And then you know, the, the Dos Caminos, it was like it's raw, pure excitement. Uh-huh. Because, it, you know, it's people that are still in my life. It was and I was new to this whole hospitality thing. Right. Like, mm. oh, wait, you mean there are people who'd like to take us to dinner? Why? Oh, how nice, how generous. But then you actually hang out with them and you realize like they become your friends. They stay in your life. I, you know, coincidentally, and I will tell Robert this, he's coming to dinner tonight. Oh, and great. I'm literally going to show him this matchbook and I'm going to tell him we had this conversation because, you know, it, it, it goes back to sort of where we started. None of this is a job. This is love. And at some point, the work and the life part of it all blurs into this one thing. Um, I really believe that the pod in my formative years was instrumental in setting that. Um, you know, even now today, like as I like navigate Marriott and there are, there are a lot of people who I respect immensely and they're so disciplined and they're, so, they're able to compartmentalize their lives in very healthy ways that I think I admire truly. Um, I am not that person. I'm not <laughs> that person, you know? Totally. Because I, right there with you. I love it all too much. Mm -hmm. It's not that they love it any less. They're just a lot more disciplined than I am. 
So I'm curious, like, if, let's pretend you guys acquired or developed a new brand or wanted to position one of the existing brands. Would it be a worthwhile exercise to envision someone in their office or room a week later looking at the matchbook that they got from that property and what they felt? You know, um, it's interesting that you asked that because when I was in graduate school, one of the classes I took was around... Um, I, I want to say it was called dining by design or something. And the premise of it was, was that you had to design an entire restaurant project over the course of the semester. And in the course of that time frame, you also got to meet different designers in their restaurants that they had just designed. You know, we met, I, that's how I met Tony Chi for the first time, etc. So, and what I loved about that was how, everything had to communicate, you know, it wasn't just about this is a box where you sit and you eat, menu, font, matchbook, hand soap, um, how all of these tiny details of love have to come together to paint a bigger picture. I mean, look at Avroco. Remember when they opened public? Yes. And then you'd go into the bathroom and there was those stacks of the tiny little soaps, right? And they were so beautifully displayed. They were functional objects that were beautifully displayed that were wrapped in a particular way. And I mean, they could have put a pump of soap on the counter. It would have fulfilled the same tactical thing. What but year did that open? Uh, very good question. I, if I had to guess, probably 17-ish years ago. It's funny, yeah. I was talking to Greg earlier in the week, uh, and we were reminiscing a little bit. Um, so around, what would that be, like 2001? No, after that. It was after that. I want to say a 04, 05 would be my guess. We should take, okay. a, bet. We should take a bet on this. Well, I, because I, I have a specific memory with Christina O'Neill there. It was really funny. I'm an early adopter of just tech and stuff. And I think it was 2006 or something. And I just gotten the first iPhone. And I remember sitting yeah. there with her and William. And, I, there, and there were a couple other people. And I was like, wow, check out this crazy thing. And I remember sitting there with her in particular and typing on a non-Blackberry keyboard, right? It was like revolutionary and writing the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog or something where I think yeah. that incorporates every letter. Every letter of the alphabet, yeah. Uh, and I just remember that. It was super funny. I have so many great memories at that restaurant in particular. I, I think anyone who has worked or lived in New York City at that point in time has at least one memory. But I think, you know, going back to what you asked, what I love is, like they care about the little details and that's love. I mean, they have those like, they used to have those like um, library card drawers where they would keep like menus and things like that. Like who does that? Only someone who loves it. Yep. You know? I Oh gosh, that was amazing. I got to get back to, you know, it actually made me also think um, Recently, I've only been to Indochine a handful of times. Oh, but it's so good. It's so, so iconic. Every oh time my God. See that wallpaper. So it, that was the amazing thing. I've been in there before and just like, okay, it's a party or we're having dinner. But if something was happening and I was sitting at the bar while they were organizing the table or something. I was just talking to the bartender and saying, hey, when, when did this place open? Because I forgot the whole story. I think it was like 1984 or 83. Uh yeah, sounds about right. And I said, is everything the same here? 
like the wallpaper in particular, he said, everything is unchanged. The wallpaper, the light fixtures, the bar. And it is just like, it's so on point. Everything, like they don't need to change a goddamn thing. There. No, no. And I actually think that if they did, it would be a little sacrilegious almost, but you know, think about it. Like when you think about trend and how suddenly there was a point in time where everybody was doing the green and pink room and everyone was doing the big abstraction of the leaf. And every time I'd see one and don't get me wrong, there were some incredible, incredible uh, products that were sort of evocative of that. And every time I would see one, I would think to myself, oh, Indochine. And Do you know what I think of when I see that? When I see those big leaves? And this goes into like, to quote Bono, every artist is a cannibal, every poet is a thief. To me, it goes back to the Beverly Hills Hotel and those huge uh, banana leaves. That's and, but that's a great place to be inspired from and, and make that your own, if you will, because they yeah. did it effectively. And then you're going to take me into this other sort of down this other rabbit hole of how do you honor some of those things, right? The Beverly Hills Hotel is iconic. The St. Regis, New York, iconic. You think about people who have had big moments in their lives, you know, proposing to someone, um, you know, taking, I, I, when I was re renovating, working on the renovation of the St. Regis, New York, I remember there was somebody at the bar who said, please don't ruin this place. I used to come here with my grandfather when I first came of drinking age. And people in life have iconic memories associated to iconic places. So how do we as an industry continue to keep them fresh and renovate them and on point and relatable and functional and clean and all that other good stuff without violating the beautiful memories and the love that is associated with the memories. And, you know, it's, it's a fine line. It's a, it's a little bit of a dance. How much is too much? You know, we've all been to places that, you know, get renovated and then they become something completely different. And you're like, Oh my God, but it was so good before what happened. Yeah, and I think as you're saying that, I'm getting teleported right back into the late 90s, early 2000s in San Francisco with the Western St. Francis in particular mm -hmm. and the Clift. Mm -hmm. And I remember the Western St. Francis went under a, a lobby renovation and they had those huge um, redwood columns mm -hmm. that were just fluted with, I don't know if Doric, Ionic capitals. And a restaurateur, Michael Minna, I think, moved in yeah. there and painted them white. And it was like front page chronicle, like scandal. Why would they paint these white? Um, and it was a simple thing, but it was like a violation, right? With the people of San Francisco. But And then you go to the Clift Hotel, which had, you know, it's storied Four Seasons, incredible. Um, and then I think Larry Traxler was involved in this one with Schrager when they took it over and they went so off into another place, but kept so many elements that were the foundational core. And I think like there were redwood, I think there were redwood panels in the room yeah. that they put this moving art. So they didn't paint over the redwood. Whereas at the Western St. Francis, they painted it over. And I would say that the departure from the Clift was probably more extreme than the St. Francis, but they somehow they were able to figure out what those core foundational elements were. And it was, um, it was celebrated. It's, it's all about balance, right? How much is too much? And it's funny when you were talking about the cliff, like I loved the way they layered the juxtaposition. You knew what was old, you knew what was new, but they were both kind of talking to each other. And then, you know, sitting there and you see the oil, you see the oil paintings and you see the eyes following you across the room. And, 
you know, cleverness can be so light-handed and yet so, so impactful. And I, I love and respect when people are able to do that because, you know, we enjoy it. Yeah. Oh man. I got to talk to Larry about that because that they really, the, the amount of celebration that was, there was consternation before the opening because, you know, mm -hmm. they like Stan Bromley was the GM there forever or the four seasons. And it was like this incredible, incredible hotel. And the, so there was like, Oh, what's it going to be? There was all this anticipation. I remember. And then it just, they checked all the boxes and they hit that thing out of the park you know, with a major reposition. And that's the thing, right? You have these experiences that have been so formative in the history of hotels. Uh, think about the Royalton. Yeah. Remember? And how people used to sashay down that catwalk. And yes, the catwalk is still there, but how it was really about the people and that the space was just the set. It was the yeah. scene. And actually that excitement that's right there in that, in that epic, because that was W hotels, like launching out as well from your podville. And like, that was another super exciting time. And I feel like, I feel like we have, I feel like we're due and maybe this uptick is that exciting time that's happening, but I haven't, and maybe it was just my age as I was going through it, but I haven't seen that level of excitement for everyone. Um, in a really long time. And I, and I really hope it's coming. You know, I think some of it is our age. Like I, like you said, W and I thought immediately right after the Royalton, my next thought was W union square. And it wasn't the largest living room, but let me tell you, you would squash your rear end onto that tiny little wooden window seat. If you could get a space, because it was just, there was something about the energy of the space that was so magnetic. And, you know, you'd walk down the street and you'd look in the window and, you know, half of us, when we'd go there, it's like the pod would go there. No one was making enough money to have, you know, $22 martinis at the time. Didn't stop us. But, yeah. you know, there was magnetism and allure. And I hope that maybe with what I'm sort of optimistically calling it this sort of palate cleanser that has happened over the 22 months. Like maybe we've all reset a little bit around what is important to us and what is important to travelers and what are the things that people miss the most when they were home. Um, and maybe that's going to help us as a collective, maybe peel out some of the noise that perhaps isn't needed anymore. And, you know, as you, I forgot, the W Union Square to also think about that energy that somehow that was palpable and there, right? It was a real thing. And I'm curious, like, is it possible that that energy was, you know, speaking of Indochine earlier, but like from a Max's Kansas City or Union Square Cafe of that whole like rock star art kind of cool thing that somehow managed to wind up in that small living room? I mean, look, I think it was super relevant to, I think its placement was key. Look, it was also like, it was at a time when hospitality went from being a very specific thing to something else. I mean, you know, you we've all been to the hotels where the check-in was this long, beautiful, grand, you know, long desk and the agent was always on the other side and you were on one side and there was no engagement and the lobby was literally, I mean, from my childhood, I remember 
being the place where you waited for your taxi, or if you were in different rooms, you all kind of collected in the lobby before you went out. You didn't collect in the living room to have a cocktail or two before you head out or have your nightcap before you went up to your room. And, you know, I think what hotels were have evolved. And I think now the question is, what's next? What are we going to do next? You know, because you're right, we are due. And that's a great question as far as like a segue of like, what are you, what's, what are you most excited about right now? What's exciting you about the future? Uh, God, you know, I think on a very basic human level, I'm just so excited to travel. Um, I miss, I miss travel. I really do. And I miss food from all parts of the world. And I want to see all of my friends who are all over the world. And I feel this is important because a lot of what inspires and drives me comes from the good fortune of being able to have these experiences, to be able to get on a plane and go and have the, you know, amazing Tom Yum Kum in Bangkok that, you know, everyone's going to tell you, don't eat it, you're going to get sick, but you eat it, you don't get sick, you love it. And your relationship to a place is reinforced by what you smell, what you see, what you hear, what you touch. And, you know, photos can only carry you so far. Instagram can only carry you so far. And I'm ready to kind of get back into all of that and see how I feel about travel in the course of it. You know, um, I used to get on a plane and go to Dubai for three days and I would think nothing of it. And then I'd come back and now it's like, well, there's a little bit of planning. There's a little bit of protocol. There's a little bit of, you know, anticipation, but then you're, then it's like, God, I've been through all this to get here. Now I really want to hang out here and spend a little more time doing that and absorbing that. And so I think how we as an entity travel, move, relate over the next few months and years will be interesting and I think informative to what we then do as we start to shape experiences. I think you just made me think of this great, well, it's not great, it's actually upsetting, but like I just connected the dots on something where um, the tra experience of travel and the impact we all get, it, it, used to, it used to be really frictionless and easy. Now there's this all this extra planning and thinking and the what ifs it's, it's made it more difficult to go have an impact and go have an experience, not just for yourself, but also, you know, for all the travelers that like to travel and impact others or get impacted, come back and impact them around them. And I just, I, I want that friction to go away. It's, it's, you know what it is. It's taken away the spontaneity. You can't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, you know what? I'm going to London tonight. Uh, because you now have to scramble and you have to do certain things. And look, I remain optimistic that we will get to a point where this, some of this will level set and we will get back to some semblance of ease of travel. Um, it's obviously going to be a little bit of a journey, but yes, it has taken away the, I'm just going to do this. You know, I have a, I, here's my debit card. Here's my passport. Off I go. Granted, that won't happen for a little bit, but I think it's coming. People are ready. People are dying to get out there, you know? Yeah, also, no, I agree. Knowing that perhaps business travel is going to take a little bit longer to return, people now have cabin fever. They're like, you know what? I've been home for too long. I need to get out. I need to go to a beach. I need to go somewhere. I need, to, I need some culture that isn't my everyday. So 
the human desire I think is there. And I think we're all just gonna do it in whatever ways we're able. And I think it's gonna teach us all a lot more about how we travel and move through the world in the coming time. Yeah, I think about, as you're, as you're saying that, thinking about one of the ways that we would educate our kids aside from school is we would drag them all over the world. We would, and we want them to experience and see as much as they can. And actually, and I hadn't thought about it until like right this second, but that friction from what Alexis and my goal was, or was in is to raise the kids is as much experience as possible. And as they're getting older, because they don't stay little forever, you know, they don't want to be around us as much all the time. And I feel like the world has robbed my kids of this two years of experience. They've robbed your kids of two years of experience, but I think what it has offered your children is maybe a new resilience and Mm. maybe not something that I think any parent would want for their children, but I think they're all going to be a lot smarter, a lot more flexible. I mean, Dan, I think about like how my calendar was so specifically orchestrated for six months and the idea of pivot or change no, 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 no. It's in the book. It has yeah. to happen. And now it's like, you know, for so long, and I, I, and I believe children are part of this, have woken up and said, all right, today we're going to school. We're not going to school today. This is happening today. That's happening. And I think there's something, there's a lesson in here about moving away from some of the rigidity that we had before, because we had to, because we told ourselves we had to. And maybe being a little bit more fluid and empathetic and listening and adaptable than we might have been before. So, yes, I, I, I agree that, you know, two years of not being able to enjoy that sort of stimulus that comes from traveling, I think it has taught people other things. I mean, you know, I think you and I talked about this, like even the ritual of sitting down to dinner and cleaning up and what that looks like and those are things that maybe you and I perhaps were raised with, but there's a whole generation where that wasn't happening anymore. And so sitting back down to dinner and talking about your day and connecting as humans and not being on your device. And yes, it's horrible that it took a global pandemic to get us here, but I think there are things that are gonna come out of this that will make your children much smarter than we were, that's for sure. Totally, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about the different experience and, and being adaptable. And, you know, it's funny that you, you know, talking about kids and stuff, if you were to go back in time to your auntie's house on the rug and you, and as you, and you see yeah. the little version of you on the rug, drinking tea, eating something, hanging out, laughing, and you sat down next to your little self, what advice do you give yourself? Don't take any of it for granted like to be surrounded, to know that whether you are physical or not, you are always surrounded by people you love. Don't take it for granted, invest in it. You know, sitting around the rug as children, it was like a simple thing. You know, we were sitting there together. Um, The pod at Starwood was its own version of that circle. Uh, You know, through the pandemic, the people who have called and made an effort to stay connected, to check in, you know, couldn't do it physically, but that didn't stop people from wanting to connect. And I don't believe that you can take any of that for granted. 
you know, mm. the love, the love of what we do, the love of caring for each other, the love of listening and wanting to be listened to. I think all of those are just very real human things. And I think how they exhibit themselves changes over time and certainly over the last few months, but it's there. And so invest in it from your heart because you love it, mm-hmm. because it will give back to you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. I love that. Take nothing for granted. Good. That's great advice for yourself. It is. I, you know, I'm working on it. Um, You'll have to do it 10 years in 10 years. Where are we now? <laughs> oh yeah, there will be, there will be. Um, hey, Alia, I just want to say I'm grateful for our friendship to know you and to also just have this time to like, just talk. So thank you very much. Where can people find you? Um, you can email me. I can, do you want me to say my email or should I give it? No, to you me? don't have to say your email. I, email. LinkedIn, we email. can type it in. Email. email. Okay. As you know, I am terrible with picking up the phone. Um, what about Instagram? Instagram is fine. Alia ZK. I think right. that's or LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Instagram, email, anything. Great. And we'll put that in the show notes. Because I won't call you back. I, you know, and I know. Sometimes you'll call me back and I love it when you call me back because I'm a phone person. Because you shame me into my, like, into how it takes, you know, investing back into the relationship in a way that is pleasurable for you. Yes. Well, I appreciate it when my phone rings and it's you. I get very excited. That's very sweet. Um, but I do want to say thank you thank you thank you thank you for having me Uh, and I also want to thank our listeners thank you for listening to us and hopefully this conversation with Alia has changed your idea on what it's like to give receive hospitality also design for it and if you have if it has please pass it along to your friends we love the growth in listenership thank you everyone and we'll check you next time